right, take your Bibles, go to Psalms chapter number 100. Psalms chapter 100. It's a short psalm, an uplifting psalm. The Bible says it's a, it's a psalm of praise. And man, that's a blessing to the song service and everything that pastor just said. And that's exactly right. And uh, we'll start in verse number one. The Bible says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. Heavenly Father, again, we thank You for allowing us to be in church here tonight. Father, I pray You just give us a nice cool drink of water tonight, Lord. And uh, we've been in the heat of the day, Lord, in the world working and doing our things and the responsibilities that each one of us have, Father. And I pray that tonight, Lord, we could put off that, uh, come into a nice uh, church house and, and, Lord, just get a drink from the Word of God. And I just pray tonight that You'd encourage us. Uh, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Lord, wash us in the blood. And I pray, Father, that you'd speak to us now through this passage. And uh, we'll just trust uh, that you, you take over here in the next few minutes. And we'll ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. One of the things uh, I've found out in life is one of the hardest things to do in life is to please somebody or an entity of some kind. And you don't know what it is they're expecting of you. <laughs> That's an extremely hard thing to do, right? If you don't have a clear direction, how in the world do you know if you're hitting the mark or if you're not hitting the mark? How do you know if you're doing a good job or you're not doing a good job? And so uh, a lot of times it's just a lack of, you know, communication, a lack of, uh, uh, a lack of openness, you know. You're trying your best, but you're not really sure if you're hitting the mark. And uh, what I'm appreciative about the Lord is that he's not like that. He communicates to us. He tells us what he's looking for. He, he tells us, you know, what, what is it that you're supposed to be doing? He tells you his expectations. And so as Christians, if we do what pastor just said, you know, basically he asks us to do something. If we do it, then guess what? We know that we're doing right. And, uh, and what I've found out is when you do right, you know, the Lord and the Holy Spirit have a great way of encouraging your soul and lifting your spirits and, and, uh, and, and giving you a little skip in your step. And, uh, and that's exactly what we need sometimes. Listen, there is no shortage of, of, of bad news and there's no shortage of, uh, of, uh, of, of negative things that can come at you at any given time in the world in which you live in today. But Christians, man, we ought to, you know, be happy. <laughs> we, ought to, we ought to be joyful. We ought to have a, a, a countenance about us that is intriguing to other people. Um, I know this, that uh, when we bring somebody into, a, into our company and stuff like that, you know, it's, it's difficult when you have a lot of people to train folks the proper way and to, and to, uh, and, and to get them acclimated into the way you do things. And uh, one thing I've learned over, over some, some years of hiring people and trying to get them up to speed is a lot of times the place you start is you give them a, you give them a vision of what it is you're accomplishing when it's finished. Right. So you, you give them a look at what the end product is. You say, this is what we're aiming for. Right. And so and, and have you ever noticed that a lot of times the end result of something, it looks easy when you first look at it. You're like, oh, well, it's just that's simple. Right. 
But you don't, you don't realize, you know, that, uh, you know, you see, you maybe you see a patio and it's just flat on the ground and it's just a bunch of pavers. You know, there's some sand in between the joints. And you're like, man, how come that thing costs $30,000, $40,000? Right? Because it's the month of labor and the underground work that you don't see and to make sure you have the right depth of dirt and it's compacted the right way and it's sloped ever, ever so much and laser level precision and make sure you got the right step up to the door so it's not a toe stomp and you fall into your house, you know? And there's a lot of things that go into it that you don't see, right? It's details that you don't see. But what you do when you first get somebody is you say, look at this patio, look at how clean it is, look at the lines, and look at how you, you cut in around the different edges and the attention to detail everywhere. And they go, man, this looks awesome. I want to build something like this. Right? And then what you do is you now you take them back and you start to on-the-job train, show them detail by detail by detail by detail how to get that end product. Right? And you know what? That's... Man, that's kind of like the way Christianity is, you know? It's like, I know I'm, I, 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 have this, I have this vision of what, you know, I should be and what, what the Lord wants me to be. And then what happens is, is you start walking and the Lord starts saying this and this and he shows you this and you learn this. And you get into, you get into a Bible study, you're getting into some teaching and, you, and, you, and then you realize you didn't know as much as you thought you knew. And then all of a sudden you become overwhelmed and you're like, Man, I don't know as much as I should know. And then there's just like make-believe pressure that I need to hurry up and know more. I need to hurry up and do more. I need to hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And sometimes you can get bogged down in the day-to-day -day details and lose sight of what it is you're actually trying to accomplish. Does that make sense? And every now and again, I love it because the Bible can say a whole lot in just a few verses. And I believe that in this short psalm right here, what the Lord does is he, is he takes this complex thing that is Christianity or walking with the Lord or being a child of God. And he just boils it down to like three little things that I saw this afternoon as I was reading this. You know, the first thing he shows us, he just shows us very simply in this passage that guess what? We need to be showing something to this outside world in which we live in, right? He says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Listen, he says here that there should be joy. There should be gladness. There should be singing. These are things that will take place and folks can see it on your countenance. They can see it in your day-to-day -day life. They, they can see it when you walk into work and you got a smile on your face. It's like, why is no one else here smiling except for you? <laughs> right? You know, you ever been around somebody like I, I, Aiden, man, he's, he's this little joy bunny that just bounces around the house. You know, and it's like seven o'clock in the morning and he's singing and he's skipping and everything's wonderful. And you're just like, shut up. <laughs> you know, why are you so happy right now? You know, he's just in his own little Aiden world and he's just happy and frolicking around, you know. And uh, you ever thought about that? Have you had the joy of God in your heart that you walk into work and everyone's like, well, we got to work up against the deadline and we got all this stuff to do. And oh my God, and you're just smiling. You're just having a good time because God let you get up this morning and, and uh, he maybe gave you something when you were praying on the way over to, to work that morning. And it's just like, man, it's good to be up today. The sun's out, the, you know, whatever. It's just good to be saved. It's good to be alive today. You know what, I, I fear that sometimes, and we have, we have this ability to allow 
I understand that uh, there's power in negative thinking. Okay, I read that book. You say, that's, that's, that's a book? Yeah, Dr. Ruckman wrote that book. The other guy wrote the other one, the positive thinking one. Yeah. <laughs> and guess what? There is power in that. And yeah, there, you, have to, you have to be able to see the negative. And I do believe that in order for you to see positive, I believe that a lot of times you first have to identify the negative. And when you switch that order around, you become this like weirdo and, and, you, and you can't assess risk and you can't assess danger. And that's a dangerous person to be around. And so as Bible believers, we're really good at seeing the negative, right? And sometimes that comes out in our countenance. It comes out in just our personality sometimes. And we become like the Debbie Downers everywhere we go, <laughs> We're not, we're not happy. We're not excited. We're not full of joy. We're just kind of like there, waiting for somebody to be wrong so we can tell them what's right. Amen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Listen, sometimes we think it's what we know when really what wins people in, is that beginning process is it's what we show them. Right? It's when they look at you, what is it about your life that they say, man, I want what they have. You know what I'm saying? What is it about the song that you're whistling on your lips that they say, that doesn't sound like a melody I hear on the radio. Right? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? Ever whistle a hymn to yourself and realize that it sounds completely foreign than any popular music? Because you want to know what you know about popular music? In order to write a popular song, you know what you have to do? You have to identify a negative emotion. Because all popular music, what it does is it identifies a negative emotion. And then what it does is it tries to relate to you in the negative emotion. But here's what secular music cannot do. It cannot transcend you out of that negative emotion and bring you into something more positive. All it does is identify you there and you say, oh, that's really relatable. And so they, they feed on it and feed on it and feed on it and it never gives them any joy. It just keeps them in a state of depression. It just confirms that they should feel the way that they're feeling. That's not us. We sang songs tonight. It's sweeter every day, <laughs> right? It's not low in the grave he lay and he never got up. It's no low in the grave and now he's arisen, amen? It's this, it's this excitement. There's this joy that's, that's just like Saul. He has a bad spirit and David comes in and he doesn't play him a sad song. David comes in with a harp and he plays him a song and it lifts his spirits and it drives a bad spirit away. The Bible tells us that, listen, when people see us and they, and they, and they see our countenance and they, and they hear that song on our lips, it should be completely different than what they see in the world. And it's not just the fact that we know what's wrong and we can tell them what's right. It's, do they see a smile on your face? Do they see a smile on your face? Are you happy? He says we ought to show something. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Listen, we can all probably go down the list of things that you can do to serve the Lord and think of every ministry and everything and, dit, 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 and go down the line. And I know plenty of people that got plenty of notches in their belts with ministries that they've got their hands into. And you know what? Some of them are the most miserable people on the face of the planet. And the amount of service that you do to the Lord has not translated into you 
being joyful or glad in any way, shape, or form. You know, that's a funny thing about giving, too. When he talks about giving, he says, I don't want your money if it's, oh, man, I got to give this. I didn't want to give this. But you just kind of begrudgingly put it in the plate. He says you should give joyfully. Thank you, Lord. I appreciate the fact that I got a paycheck coming in, Lord. I appreciate the fact that the lights are on at the house. I appreciate the fact that the water bill's paid. I appreciate the fact that, you know, we got gas in the car and everything else. And, Lord, the least I can do, Lord, you just use that and keep some missionaries on the field, Lord. You use that and keep the lights on at the church, God. You use that because, man, I need this church and I need the, the ministries and I want to be a part of what's going on. So, Lord, you take this. This is the, the least that I can do. Lord, I hope someday I can give more than this. You ever been there? You ever say, Lord, man, I'd sure like to be able to give more. <laughs> and just be happy about it? You ever, write, you ever write the tie check at the end of the month and go, man, Lord, that's awesome. Look at how much I never thought I could possibly give what I'm given. Ever think about that? He says you should be joyful about it. You should serve the Lord with gladness. You should be happy. It's not I have to. It's I get to. It's look at, look at this. The Lord is using me. I didn't think I could be used for nothing. Right? He says you should be able to show something. This is just basic stuff. You know what he says? And you know what he shows us in verse 3? He says we should know something. He says we should know something. In verse 3 he says, know ye? Know ye what? Know the Lord. He is God. You know, the first thing he tells you you should know, you should know who he is. Amen. You should know who God is. He says that the Lord is God. If you look up a definition of God, he said that they say that God is a supreme being, a creator, the principal object of faith. Right. This is the world's definition. How about this? Another one. A being perfect in power, wisdom, goodness, who is worshipped. That's what God is. But see, that definition doesn't define who he is. That identifies a definition of a word. You see, because you have this amazing thing that you actually know who God is. Or you should know who God is. The world, they have all kinds of gods and they misidentify him all the time. I was listening to something the other day and uh, this... Uh, uh, and this may not mean anything to you, but I was listening to something and they were talking about this Bitcoin stuff and the blockchain technology and all this stuff that you can invest your money in. And uh, they target you young people and you middle-aged folks to try to invest in Bitcoin because that's obviously a good investment. I'm not here to give investment advice, but I'm just saying that's what the new the kick is, right? And, and the thing about Bitcoin, the thing about this, this cryptocurrency is that this guy by like uh, Shitashi or something like that or, you know, whatever, Kobayashi, that's the guy that eats hot dogs or something. Uh, but they say that this guy, he, he created this cryptocurrency and there's only X amount of cryptocurrencies and they have to mine it and it's all in the cyberspace. And I don't really put my mind around it. You're probably smarter than I am. You may know more about it than I do. But uh, the guy who is defending this, he says... He said about this uh, 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 Shitashi guy or whatever that he gave us a one-way gift, right? He gave us a one-way gift that blesses the world and, and requires nothing in return. That is Bitcoin. What does that sound like? 
right? You say, what's the world doing? Man, they're trying to find God. You know, these guys that are in the, the artificial intelligence and all this different stuff, you know what, they're, you know what, they're, you know what they've admittedly said? We're trying to make an electronic God. We're trying to make something via technology that you can ask, and it has every answer that you need. You ask it to do something, it can do it. It is at your beck and call. It is all-knowing. It is all-powerful. It can run everything, and we can go to it with our questions. You say, what is that? They're trying to make God. They're trying to artificially make God. Here's the problem. They don't know who God is. <laughs> they don't have a clue who he is. And so the world grasps at straws and they, when they wander in the darkness trying to find something that's real. Every person on the face of this planet wants a God. They want an all-knowing, all-powerful, uh, all-wise, all-good creator that they can go to and trust. But the problem is, is they don't know who the real one is. You know what the Bible says to us? You got to know who he is. <laughs> you got to know who he is. I know who he is. Moses is back there and God says, you need to go deliver my people from Egypt. And he says, God, I, I don't think you understand. I'm a nobody. I can't do this. When I go tell them all this stuff, you've told me this great task to lead these people. But who do I tell them sent me? They don't know you. They don't know that I'm a representative. Who do I tell them? He says, you tell them I am sent you. You tell them I am sent you. You tell them that the Lord who created the heavens and the earth, the heaven and the earth, he's the one that sent you. Right? There's, it's somebody. It's, some, it's, 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 it's something outside of this universe. And so many people look for God in the wrong places. But guess what, folks? The Bible says here, he says, no that the Lord, He is God. You say, I don't understand that. You say, who is God? The Lord. <laughs> Isn't the Lord God? Yeah, the Lord, the Lord God. He's God. Right? You think about Jesus Christ, and He says, if ye have seen me, ye have seen the Father. I like what Dr. Ruckman said when he taught through that. He says, He's either the most blasphemous man that ever walked the face of the planet, or he was who he said he was. He was either lying and deserves to burn in hell forever. Or he's God and he deserves to be worshipped and magnified forever. And the truth of the matter is, is when it talks about Jesus Christ, nothing was made that was made without him. And he was there with the Lord in the habitable parts of his, uh, of his earth before the foundations of the world. Jesus Christ was there. We know who God is. We got the inside scoop. We don't serve somebody we don't know. We know where he is. We know what he can do. Amen. You got to know who he is. You know what? He says, another thing, he says you need to know something. You need to know what he did. The Bible says here, he hath made us and not we ourselves. He says, and this is funny because the Bible spends zero time proving the existence of God. You ever wonder about that? How easy it would be for God to just put some kind of proof here to show people that he's real. And God wastes zero time. 
Matter of fact, the Bible just takes for granted that God is. It, it doesn't just take for granted that God is. It goes the next step and says, only a fool could say in his heart that there isn't a God. So not only does he spend no time proving his existence, he completely, uh, uh, he completely just disregards any kind of criticism that he exists. And then he insults those <laughs> that doesn't think he's real. He calls them fools. Because there's no possible way that you could sit here and look out in nature and see what God has made and think that that thing happened by accident. You know what you find out in the Old Testament when God's talking to his people or God's making a point? A lot of times he says, I am God, right? Or I am the Lord. And then he attaches creation right afterwards. He says, who made the earth? Right? He attaches creation to it. That is, in Romans chapter 1, the thing that if you reject that natural, uh, uh, that natural draw that, you're, that you have been uh, given, and every man, that's the light that lights every man, he says, if you can't look at nature and see that God is real, then guess what? You're going to go down that road to having a reprobate mind. And he says, man, you're without excuse. Because the invisible things are clearly th seen by the things that are made. You see? And so he says, you know what? We need to know some things. First of all, you need to know that God is what? That God's real. God is not an entity that you can explain. God is not a mental construct that you can think of in your own mind. God is not the highest form of pleasure. God is in heaven and He is almighty, and He is all-powerful, and He is all-knowing. And you need to know what He did. What did He do? He created everything that you can see, touch, and feel. God did it. It didn't happen by accident. The beauty of the sunset was painted by God. The mountains and their grandeur was formed by the fingers of God. The stars were thrown out in space by God. The air that we breathe is provided by God. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's what it is. Look at what he's done. It's amazing. He says, sit back and the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. We sit back in awe because of what he has done. Not only he says you should know who he is and know what he did, but then he says, and again in verse number three, he says that we are his people <laughs> and the sheep of his pasture. He says, you need to know who you are. So that means that the God of the universe, the all-powerful one, the one that is worthy of worship, the all-wise, the all-knowing, the all-seeing, the all-powerful the one that created the heaven and the earth, the one that every intricate detail in the, in the, in the, in the ecosystems and, and, uh, and the systems of your body. It's not it's one thing to know Him, but it's another thing as you that's sitting here tonight to know that you're one of His, that He's your Father, that He's your shepherd. The Bible says here that you're the sheep of His pasture. Right? And I know a little bit about having livestock. You know what I know about having livestock? 
is that if you have bred them and you have, and you have brought them in and, and you've birthed them out of there and, you've, and you have taken care of them since they were uh, uh, having a drink out of a bottle and then you were going to transition them onto a bucket and then get them out in the pasture and get them to, to, to digest green grass and do all the work that it takes to maintain livestock, you don't take too kindly to somebody trying to take advantage of them. You know what you find out? He tells you here, you need to know who you are. You're not just somebody just lost in this world. You're a child of the God of the universe. You are, you are not just a child of his that is some you know, alienated child that's off. He calls you the sheep of his pasture. He's your shepherd. He cares about you. He wants, you know what shepherds do to their livestock, to their sheep? They feed them. They take care of them. They keep them clean. Right? They maintain them. They watch for their health. They make sure that they're in safe spaces and make sure that the parameters and, and uh, anything that's out to get them is gone and, t- and taken care of and, and done away with. He protects them. Let me tell you something. He says, you should know who you are. You belong to the good shepherd. The one that created everything is your father. The one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills He's your father. The one that can do anything is your father. The one that can know everything is your father. The one that is not limited in power, he's your father. And you're his child. And you're his possession. And he wants to take care of you. And he's going to take care of you. Hey, he's telling you, you want to get through life? (laughs) You want to be a Christian? You better know who he is. You better know what he did. And you better know who you are. You know what finally we see here in this passage? He says that we need to show some things. We need to know some things. And then he says we need to bestow some things. Look in verse number four. In light of what we just saw, that we are the children. We are the recipients of the goodness of the good shepherd. He says in verse 4, enter into his gate with thanksgiving. He says, you want to be a Christian? You want to have joy unspeakable and full of glory? Then you better be able to come into his presence and bestow to him the thanksgiving and the praise that he deserves. Amen. We need to be thankful. You need to enter into his gates. How? Not with a laundry list of needs. Not with a laundry list of wants. Not with a list of problems. Not with a list of grievances. But with thanksgiving. You say, I'm supposed to take my grievances and I'm supposed to take my problems and I'm supposed to take my needs and I'm supposed to take my wants. Yeah, you are. But he says, when you enter, the first thing that you do when you enter, he says, you better come with some thanksgiving. This is what God expects. This is what God wants to see from us. He wants to see us showing the joy and the gladness that it comes with serving Him. He wants you to to know and be able to comprehend who He is and what He's done and your position with Him. And He wants us to bestow to Him the thanksgiving that He deserves. This is He's showing us in Psalm 100 what God wants from us. And if we know his expectations, man, we can please him. 
We can do it, man. He says, gratitude for what? He tells us in verse 5 what we should be thankful for. He says, for the Lord is good. We should be thankful for His goodness. We ought to be thankful that the fact that I know everybody in here, guess what? Nobody in here tonight is starving. Everybody here got to church somehow. I don't think there's anybody within the sound of my voice right now that after we say amen tonight and we lock the doors that you don't have a place to put your head and go to sleep. We ought to thank God for the goodness and His provision for us. It's funny, so many times we can get bogged down with the things we don't have and then we lose sight of the gratitude we should have for the things that we do. God has been awfully good to us. God has provided for us in ways that we cannot imagine. Things that we didn't expect. The check in the mail before we even knew the problem was there. Amen. God provides for His children. God is good to us. How about His protections? God protects us from things. You know what? Uh, I think about when it comes to being thankful for stuff, and I've heard this said before. I'm stealing it from somebody. But how about the stuff that you never even knew you were in danger of, and God just took care of you, and you didn't even know it? Amen. Me and Adam, we were driving back from the camp a couple weeks ago, and we're driving down I-75, and there's a big old trailer in front of us, and all of a sudden we hear a boom, and that tire explodes in that trailer, and that trailer starts swinging side to side. And you know what? We were just about a car length behind that, that, that thing. And I thought to myself, man, Lord, thank you for that. If I was, if I was 10 feet further up, he would have sideswiped me. The Lord, he's awful good to us. You know, he protects us from stuff. We don't even realize he's protecting us from stuff. You say, man, Lord's not letting me do certain things. It's not working out the way I thought it was. Why am I in this traffic jam? <laughs> Maybe the Lord's just trying to keep you from danger. You see? Man, God, He protects us from stuff. You know, you ought to thank God for the goodness and the people He's put around you. Listen, for every complaint you have about a person, a Christian in particular, don't you know there's probably four or five that have helped you immensely? And the ratios, they don't even, they don't even, they don't even make sense, man. Listen, Christians have been better to me than any group of people outside of church. And have Christians hurt me? Yeah, sure they have. There's no doubt. But I like what Dr. Peacock says. He says, but that's who I spend the most of my time around, so it would stand to reason that if I spend most of my time around Christians, that the ones that hurt me are probably going to be Christians. But if we're being honest, the far majority of the Christians that I hang around with, they help me and they encourage me and they bless me. Amen. And they, and they, and they fire me up and they give me something to work towards and their iron that sharpens my iron. And, and it's a blessing to be around people that believe like I do. And, and I don't have to be too careful around. It's a blessing that God gives us people to be around. But again, we get in this mind and we focus on the things that are bad, but look at all the good stuff we've got. Amen. It's so good to be in a church with people that want to be here. Man, it's good. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for some Christians that God's placed in my life 
and help me. And every now and again, I'll get a text message and say, hey, brother, I've, I've been praying for you and I appreciate you. I got a text message uh, a few days ago, a guy I went to school with. He just said, hey, I heard what you preached on Wednesday night. I just want to say it was a real blessing. I'm praying for you and your family. I just think to myself, it's like, Lord, why? He's in North Carolina, <laughs> you know? And his daddy's all banged up and got all kinds of health problems. And he just had another kid and he's pastoring a little church. And his dad's trying to pastor a church. And, and uh, it's a struggle and struggle and struggle. And he takes the time to text me and encourage me. I'm like, thank God for that guy, man. Sure glad that God's put some Christians in my life that help me out. Man, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for some people. And you know what? I'll take every bad apple in the bunch. I'll take every bad apple in the bunch. Man, there's a whole lot better apples. <laughs> there's a whole lot more good apples than bad ones, I can tell you that. His goodness and His presence. You ever just take for granted that you're in a church that God just pities us enough to show up on a regular basis? Man. Maybe some of you just haven't been in enough churches. Maybe some of you have never been in a church where he's not. I like what Brother Utley said one time. He says, you don't miss the well. He says, you don't miss the water till the well runs dry. He preached that sermon when I was in PBI. It was probably my second or third year of school. He got up there and says, you don't miss the water until the well runs dry. I'll never forget that, man. He said, what was the sermon about? I don't know. I just remember the title. It's a catchy title, man. I mean, I feel like the sermon is summed up in the title. <laughs> he probably said a bunch of great stuff, but man, that title stuck with me. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm thankful that God shows up. I'm thankful that when, you know, we get together and we get to singing, it just seems like God just kind of meets with us. You know, I'm, listen. I'm thankful that there's some times in my life when I got my closet that the Lord shows up in my closet with me. Amen. You know what I'm saying? There's been some times in my life when I've had to get on my face and I have no idea what to do. You know what the Lord does? He just has a funny way to say, is it weird? Is it some audible voice? No, no, no. It's just this thing that God can do and you realize that He's there. And sometimes he doesn't have to say anything. It's just enough to know that he's there. And you ever just thank God that he just blesses us with his presence? You say, well, I don't feel his presence right now. Aren't you thankful that you've felt it before? Right? You ever just thank God for the goodness in your problems? You say, I don't know, man. We're not doing very many good times right now. You know, I'm not seeing much of the goodness of God right now. Health is bad and finances are bad and home situation's bad and kids are bad and the wife and husband's bad and I don't see a lot of good right now. You ever think that maybe God is using the bad for your good? Right? I mean, it's in the Bible. Knowing that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to His purpose. One of the, one of the worst things about being uh, the boss, <laughs> I had a fire guy tomorrow morning. 
I don't like that. I had to deal with that all. I was on the phone till after 8 o'clock, 8.30 last night with about four guys from my team. Got a situation that I knew was brewing, but I didn't know how bad it was. And then it came to a head. And, and then I had to deal with a bunch of stuff and talk with the owner today. And, and uh, we came to the conclusion that, you know, he just doesn't line up with where we're going as a company. And, and this is a guy that's been through a divorce and he's got kids. And he's got a lot of issues going on in his personal life. And I feel for him, and I feel bad for him. But you know what? I realize that if we don't let him go, we're actually doing him a disservice because we're aiding and abetting the bad behavior, and he needs to wake up. And so sometimes you've got to do something bad for the, the good of the person you're trying to help. Does that make sense? Some of you don't see the good in that. It's not easy. It's not fun. I don't like it. But you know what God knows about us? Is that we need sometimes some bad things in our life to show us some things about ourselves. Amen. And the bad things and the hurtful things and the hard things, you see, He's putting those in our life in perfect cadence and perfect control for your good. He's working those things out for your good. And so sometimes we have to be able to just sit back and say, Lord, it hurts. Lord, I don't like it. Lord, this isn't comfortable. I don't like the fact that this is happening. But God, I just want to thank you for the problem because I know, I know that you're working this thing for my good. And you start seeing the good in it. You know, he says here that we need to be grateful for his mercy. He says his mercy is everlasting. Mercy is just simply having compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within your, it's in, within your power to punish or harm them. You know, God has every right to do whatever he wants to us. You've heard it said by many a preacher, he says, I, you know what I deserve? I deserve to be in hell with my back broke. And if you really get a hold of the fact that your sins are as grotesque to God as they are, you realize that the fact that God talks to you is mercy in and of itself. And uh, he says that we should thank him for his mercy. Because he says he doesn't, he doesn't put a cap on his mercy. He says it's everlasting. Another place he says it's new every morning. You know, the Bible, the Bible tells us that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad we've messed up, no matter how bad we fail, no matter how hard we fall, do you fact, the fact that some of you in here eat, listen, listen, I understand besetting sins are frustrating and besetting sins are, are bad and, the, and, they're, and they're grotesque and they, and, they, and they grieve you and they grieve God. You ever just thank God that the fact that you even have a besetting sin Shows that he could have snuffed you out the first time. But he's allowing you to try to help you to get that thing out of your life. He's given you, extended you mercy. He's not the God that just wipes you out the first time you fail. I know I got some of you who said, be thankful for your besetting sin. No, the fact that you even have one shows he's a merciful God. And shows you that he's not done working on you. That's not liberty to, to, to justify or say it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. He wants you to get it out of it. It's still grotesque. It's still grieving to God. But the fact that, that he's letting you struggle with it shows that he's a God that's great in mercy. 
And He wants to see you get it whooped. He's working with you. And He understands that that sacrifice sometimes takes multiple trips to the altar to get it all the way down. And some of you in here, you get so bogged down, and I'm no good, and I'm no good, and I've failed. Some of you, you failed before you came to church tonight. Isn't that funny how the devil does that? Isn't that funny the flesh just likes to rear up right before you come to church? And you fall flat on your face, you get in an argument with your wife or something like that, and the kids are this, that, and the other, and you lash out, your anger gets the best of you, you know, something like that happens, and you walk back in the, in the back door of the church, and you just and you put a smile on, but really you're just frustrated and mad and angry, and you're just like, I did it again, man, I did it again. I tell you, God, he's rich in mercy, man. He just wants you to get it right. Keep moving forward. Get the thing under the blood. Confess it. Forsake it. I've done that a hundred times. Do it again. <laughs> Why? His mercy is everlasting. It's new every morning. There's always, there's always a way to get it right. You may suffer the consequences of it, but you can still get it right. You know, sometimes we don't get it right because we just think somebody's just too angry at us. God's just too angry. God can't over... I've just done this too. I've been too bad. There's a lady in a church in... Where's that? In Indiana. Uh, my mother-in-law was real close friends. Her name was Kim. And Kim, she would be around my, my mother-in-law and she talked to her about the Lord, talked to her about the Lord and she wouldn't get saved, wouldn't get saved, wouldn't get saved. And Oh, you just don't know what I've done. You just, she was an older lady. You just don't know what I've done. You just don't know what I've done. And I was delivering oxygen out in Indianapolis and the Lord pricked my heart and she was in the hospital. She got rushed to the hospital the night before. She was in real bad health and had Crohn's disease and all bunch of kinds of circulation problems. And, and the Lord put it on my heart. He says, you need to get up here to, back to Anderson. It's about an hour drive. You need to go talk to Kim. So I, you know, made sure my route was taken care of and I, and I peeled up to Anderson and I went to the hospital and I figured out what room she was in and I walked in there and her legs were about this big around. They're purple, dark purple. And it looked like, like she, was, she was bleeding through the pores of her legs. And, uh, and I said, Kim, you know the Lord would like to save you. Joe, you just don't know what I've done. And I said, uh, uh, you know, she's like, but I'm just so scared to die. I said, and I said, what did you think? Oh, I said, how come you... Uh, how come you called uh, the ambulance? She says, I called the ambulance because I, I knew I was about to die and I was scared, so I called the ambulance. And they came and got me last night. And she says, and I said, well, why don't you, why, do you why, why, why would you just live like that when you can get the thing under the blood and you can get saved and you don't have to worry about that thing anymore? You don't have to be scared about that anymore. She, she says, I waited to call the ambulance because I was afraid I was going to die. And she thought that by calling the ambulance, she just waved the white flag that she was going to die and she was going to go to hell. And I remember as I sat there and I said, I said, come now, let us reason together. I said, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Be red like crimson, they can be as wool. And I said, you know, the Lord is reasonable. And I said, there is, I said, he can cleanse you, for the Bible says, from all sin. From all sin. I said, listen, the pre-qualification for salvation is for you to know that you're bad. I said, because God is rich in mercy. 
And I remember when that lady bowed her head and with tears running down her face, she said, Lord Jesus, save me. I'm so bad. I'm so wicked. Will you please save me, Lord? Please save me. And she ended her days in church. Loving God, being in church and thankful that God saved her. And I'm telling you, man, it's amazing that God is rich in mercy and a life that's full of whatever. And I never even asked her. I said, I don't even want to know what you've done. She always felt compelled to try to tell you. I said, I don't care. Whatever it is that she had, whatever it is that was blocking her from getting to God, you know what? Didn't bother him a bit. Why? Because he's rich in mercy. You know what? Sometimes we ought to be thankful to the fact that we have an advocate with the Father. And then he says, finally here, he says that his truth endureth to all generations. He says, you know what you should be grateful for? You should be grateful for the fact that you got the truth tonight. That God did not leave us as blind men just staggering in darkness, but gave us the truth that we don't have to wander through life wondering. But God gives us the truth so that we don't have to be those that, that are tossed about with every wind of doctrine. But rather we can be stable and settled and confident and assured and comforted and reassured that we can get light, that we can have direction, and most importantly that we can get to know Him. This book that God's given us, the truth that God has given us, The fact that we have access to it is a miracle. You know what? Sometimes we should just be quick to thank God that, Lord, I'm thankful that, God, I'm not not a Jehovah's Witness tonight. Some of you in here, you know what it's like to be a part of a different religion. Some of you in here, you know people that are trapped by religion. And it's sad and it's horrible. But you know what? You always got something to thank God for. Lord, I'm thankful you delivered me from that. That, Lord, you turned the lights on one day. God, I'm thankful that although they're, they're not out of it yet, because I have the truth, I know that there's still hope for them to get the truth. Lord, I'm thankful that when I talk to somebody, I don't have to give them my opinion. I don't have to give them some psychological gobbledygook to try to help them. But, Lord, I can, I can point them to the truth. Lord, I'm thankful I got something to say. Not just filling the air with meaningless words. But God, I have something that's got some power behind it. Lord, I can be like them when they said, they didn't, that he didn't speak like the Pharisees spoke. But he spoke as one having authority. Man, I'm thankful for that. You know, the Lord, he's awful, awful good to us. And you want to know something? You may be in here tonight. You know what my goal is tonight? To encourage you. I want to encourage you. Maybe you say tonight, listen, I'm not making a joyful noise. (laughs) It seems like my joy is petered out. And when it comes time to sing, I don't feel like singing. I'll mouth the words. But the song that was once in my heart is maybe... The harp is now hung on the willow. Right? 
Maybe, you know, yeah, I know about God and, and I want to serve him, you know. And, but the problem is, is I'm serving him out of obligation. And I'm serving him out of just a blind routine. And don't get me wrong. There's some times in the service of God where sometimes you just put your boots on anyway because you don't feel like it. There's a balance to this. But listen, when you get your boots on and you get out and you're starting to do what God told you to do, you know what you find? The joy comes back. Some of you got your boots on and you're here and the joy still ain't here. Say, I've lost it. I don't have it. I'm not serving the Lord with gladness. I'm serving the Lord with sadness. You know, I desire, I desire to sing, but I'd rather be out there talking. I got something better to talk about out there than being here for the song service. It's funny how the first thing to go is the singing. The Lord's showing us something here, folks. You know what he's telling you? He's given us what he expects, but he's also given us that if we're not where we should be in the first two verses, he tells us exactly how to get it back. <laughs> you know what you do? You get back to what you know. You get back to just the basics. Stop getting so bogged down in the details. Hey, listen, man, sometimes the way to get the joy back and the way to get the gladness back and the way to get the song back in your heart is to just focus on him again. And Lord, you are God. And Lord, you did create this. And God, you, you listen, you created everything. And Lord, I'm your child. And, and I just want to spend a little bit of time, maybe tonight, just focusing on what you've done for me and being thankful. And you know what you find out? A grateful heart, a heart that's full of thanksgiving. It's hard not to have a little bit of joy start to percolate. And it's hard to not start saying, oh, how I love to proclaim it. And all of a sudden, you put your boots on with a smile on your face again. Because you just realize, man, God, he is just so good to me. See, it's cyclical. It's cyclical. And the Lord says, if you've lost it, Here's how you get it back. And just in case you were wondering, I know we all got a bunch of stuff going on. He just wants us to show something. He just wants us to know something. And he just wants us to bestow to him what he desires. And that is our thanksgiving. Our recognizing that without him, we are nothing. Amen. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for tonight. Thank you for this message. It was an encouragement to me. And Father, I pray that it would be an encouragement to your people now. And I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now, I think it would be a good time for an altar call. Uh, we're getting ready to go into a revival next week. And I can't tell you how many times uh, I was told that our church really doesn't need a revival. You guys are already at a different place than where you, you should, most churches are. What Brother Joe said was true. Uh, I, our, our church is just a church. I know what it is, but there's a lot of churches out there that don't even have nothing close to what you have here. Uh, we're not anything special. We're just his children. And he's given us some stuff. And there is, you got a cold heart. Some of us got cold hearts. 
And you're gonna, you got next week, man. You got, we're gonna start this thing. Don't you? Wouldn't it be great if you could start it like on level ten instead of level one? Um, and then that he could come in here and maybe give us something day one. That he he told me. I've preached at preachers. They say, hey, we, I come in on most churches, and what I get to start here on Monday. Uh, I, I, he said, most churches you don't get to them to Thursday. He goes, but you guys, you guys are already there. But brother, sometimes we get there and we think we're there for something, and it's more than that. It's Jesus Christ. We've forgotten the simple things. Uh, we may have something that God gave us, but I'm telling you, brother, there's so much more out there. It never ends with him. It never ends. When he says everlasting, everything he does is everlasting. You can't ever, you can't ever out get what he wants to give you. Why don't you just start out this week? Get some time here. Let's just take a few minutes tonight and spend some time with the Lord, just thanking him for what he's done for us. But that we're going to, hey, next week we're going to have a revival, Lord. There are going to be other people that come in that's going to look for stuff. They're going to look for something that they need. That, uh, there's churches out there that they don't have. They wish they had a place to come to. Uh, and, Lord, sometimes we take it. I, we take it for granted what you've given us. Uh, Lord, I know I do. And, uh, Lord, I just I don't ever want to be that way, Father. I just uh, ask you to forgive me. Uh, but, Lord, thank you for what you've given us. Lord, you've given us a building. you give us a place to, to meet. Uh, Lord, to come together. And, Lord, we come together to, to make a joyful noise. Thank you for song service, Lord. Thank you for the, the, the instruments being played and those who can play them, Lord. Thank you for the talent you've given us, uh, Lord, that uh, we want to have a good song service, Lord, and you've given us what it takes to have one. We have more stuff than we could ever ask for. Lord, help us to never take it for granted. Uh, what a blessing it is just to be uh, around you and your people, a little bit more than anything, to uh, be around you. Lord, forgive us uh, for our shortcomings, our sins that are ever before you. Uh, Lord, uh, let us never hide anything, Lord, and thank you that, uh, like Brother Joe said, it, it's an amazing thing, Lord, that sometimes we'll go through things for years. Uh, Lord, at any given time, you could have snuffed us out, but you haven't, and you just give us more and more time. That's your mercy, your grace, and your kindness, and your long-suffering long toward us. Uh, Lord, you, all, you see something that we don't see, and you see an outcome down the road that we don't see, Lord, and, and uh, you're patient and loving and, and are waiting to see it and let it uh, grow fruit in our lives. Again, thank you for your blessing, Lord, bless the prayer service, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen.